Girl, um, I get to uh, Sydney, Australia, I will be sharing that two-bedroom with you. <laughs> yes, you will. Yes, please. Please, someone show me some love. Please, anyone, come in here and spend spend some time with me in this place. I, I, I have no human interaction. This is partly why I'm acting so crazy right now, is that, like, we're talking and I'm still not seeing you. So it's like I still make no human connection. You know what I mean? You're like, like am I making, am I just talking to Randy in my head right now? I, I feel like it. I feel like it because it's also like midnight and I'm by myself all alone with the moonlight. Uh, you know, sweet cats ref I just made. But um, I know. I won't miss a cat ref. I, I, girl, as, I, as, as I confessed. As last you week. let us know last week, you and your skimble shags. <laughs> Riot <laughs> you caused um, the, Sk- the Skimble Shanks Revolt. If I ever write a, a a biography about you, that's what I'm going to call it. All the books on theater history talk about the Skimble Shanks Revolt. <laughs> it's like <laughs> waiting for Lefty caused a riot and the Skimble Shanks Revolt in the Schubert <laughs> Theater in Boston in 1984. What's really over the rainbow? Are drag queens capable of mind control? How many times has Beyonce been cloned? Can I get an amen? For too long, the heteronormative straight stream media has been hiding the truth, the sheer queer truth. But now she's coming out, and she wants the world to know. It's time to unveil the shocking answers to all of your burning questions. The truth is here, the truth is queer, so get used to it. We are Mr. Sister, and this is Queer and On. Hello, my Queerios, and welcome to another episode of Queer and On with Mr. Sister. My name is Jordan Barbour, and my Australian accent has gotten remarkably better, wouldn't you say, Randolph Harrison? Yes, I would. Now, yours has gotten significantly worse. That is <laughs> well, good. it was never good to begin with. If anybody can even understand me, it's good. Well, as you can hear, ladies, gents, all things in between, we have another week with the wonderful Randolph Harrison. And uh, we should just probably come out and say it, that you're basically going to do every episode now. <laughs> Huzzah. Right? I mean, I... I kind of feel like I'm just committing you to that on the air right now, but we have. I'm happily about committed. It. You know, if you hadn't done it publicly, then I wouldn't do it. But and since you, you just right? said it, I, I'm going to feel shamed into I always showing like, up. I feel like the subtext of this whole situation is like "Say My Name" by Destiny's Child, where it's like, "I just said your name. I gave you your props, right?" Yep, you did. People are around me, and I'm saying, "Randy, you can't take it back now." I love thee. <laughs> <laughs> I can take it back. I can edit the fuck out of this if I want. I can do whatever I want. I know. And you have. You take out all the funny things I say. <laughs> fuck and you, you put bitch. in all the, all the embarrassing things. True. Me tanking every quiz. Fuck you. <laughs> you do that on your own, girl. You do that on your own. All yeah, it was humiliating. I'm, I'm still ashamed. Okay. Well, we have got another great episode for you kids. This week, we are talking about the new HBO limited series by Mike White called White lotus about a resort and spa in hawaii and all the inner workings of its staff and guests after that we're getting into a deep dive on wellness access to wellness how wellness can relate to queerness if it does i don't even know what that means but we're gonna get into it before that we're gonna have another fun quiz this week that quiz is called asana or asa na 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 (laughs) yeah yeah it's good it's good i know you like it Uh, And of course, we'll be doing this week's bottom five. But before that, we will start the week as we always do with a check-in. So Randolph Harrison, welcome back to the show. How have you been? 
I've been good. I've been busy. I've had a house full of guests. The boys are here. It was Justin's birthday. I threw a birthday party all outdoors. Everybody vaccinated. Um, But you know, it's been a lot of socializing for me in a good way. The weather has been good. We went on a lazy river. Where? The east branch of the Delaware River. There's this little sort of uh, a branch of the Delaware River that you can pull off onto the side of the road and then you leave your um, floaties there and then you drive a second car to the end, like two miles away. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and you just hop in and um, float down the river. It's actually really, really fun. There's moments of river drama where, you know, you can get stuck <laughs> behind a tree or like basically most of the river is about four inches deep. So you like your buckets hits rocks if you start sinking. Yeah, but it's very, very fun. You just go with a box of rosé and you have a good afternoon. Lovely. So I did that. Yeah, it's been a great week. I finished school too. Oh, congratulations. No, I didn't. I finished my semester. I finished my semester. (laughs) I mean, congratulations. Still, that's pretty good. Thank you. I have one semester left, but I I handed in a bunch of papers. That's fucking great. So much bullshit, but I did it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We We should say... That the reason why our audience is hearing crickets and the sounds of the tropical tropical forest in yonder breeze. window, the breeze, <laughs> is because Randolph is outside. As I am outside is, on the porch, as it is currently eight a.m. for you, uh, nine nine a.m. Mm-hmm. and it is eleven p.m. for me. I, uh, contrarily, have been drinking wine and I've been pretty much, you know inebriated in one form or another all day so you're getting the best of me at night right now <laughs> just want to let you know that we're flip-flopping i mean we're verse because we're usually the opposite way around you well, and i yes. we've always been verse it's fine of course <laughs> i'm sorry so i kind of I, I disrupted your check-in no that i mean check-in check-in you're leading such a charmed life right now and i don't know what <laughs> the complete opposite of a charmed life is <laughs> but it's whatever the fuck situation you're in <laughs> so a, a brief update our lockdown just got extended until september 30th but we're in this sydney lockdown and it's just another five weeks of nothing you know the city and and i have now a five kilometer radius that i'm allowed so basically i can't travel to some of the spots i like to go i still have the harbor i have the darling harbor I've got the botanical gardens. I, I There are lots of really beautiful things that I can walk to and see. And thankfully, the weather's not terrible, so I can go outside. But after a certain point, you just kind of start to lose your motivation to even go outside. And it's just fucking hard, man. Like, we're just in this hotel all the time. And there's nothing to do because everything's closed. And and you don't know anybody. I don't fucking know anyone. I don't You're know in anyone. The, as far as you can possibly get from your home. Right. And and well, and the other crazy thing is the people that I do know, I can't see because of the pandemic. Like right. I, they haven't been vaccinated yet and they might have immunocompromised family members or things like, you know, so there's all sorts of reasons why I can't even see the very few people that I know here. And then I know, you know, there are people in my cast that we go for like one-on-one walks together because that's what we're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're you're not really allowed to interact with more than one person at a time. So you don't... Haven't had there a goes your sex life. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. 
I will not cut that joke out. Okay. <laughs> Part of the reason why I feel like we've had such a delay with the podcast too, is just because I've been feeling so unmotivated and like, I have nothing to say. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what a terrible way to start a podcast <laughs> and to reintroduce myself after like three weeks of an absence. Just be like, I am, um, ah, terribly depressed. Is that, is that an accurate description? I don't know if it makes you feel better, but everybody here is sympathizing with you. I think everybody who I bring you up to, yeah. who knows, they're like, oh, we went to Australia to do, oh, <laughs> is he okay? What's going on? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like, half of the New York community would fly to Australia and rescue you if we could. I appreciate that. Empty promises. Fucking good it does. Empty promises, though. (laughs) Okay, well, basically, you know, that's pretty much it. I've been watching some good TV, and uh, we're going to talk about some of it today. So, that is my check-in. So, Randy, are you ready for this week's bottom five? Always. Bring them on. Line them up. Asses out, heads down. Down. The bottom five. five. All right, here is the bottom five. Story number one. Santino Rice and Laura Osnes want to make America 2020 again. Randy, have you seen the latest news around Santino Rice's meltdowns on Twitter? Uh, no, I read all about Laura Osnes, though. But I know Santino's been batshit forever. Uh, I didn't realize how batshit he was, though, because this is like a new level of batshit. Like, Tell me. So here we go. In As early as I'm reading this from Queerty.com. As early as May 2021, Rice began tweeting misinformation about the COVID-19 pandemic, railing against the various vaccines designed to protect against it. He writes, what they are selling people isn't even a vaccine. They are calling it a, quote, vaccine, but it is not really a proper vaccine. Call me crazy. Keep informing yourself on what this, quote unquote, vaccine is. Keep questioning everything. Uh, then he says, they will try to frame China, but this man-made virus was designed by European and American scientists and then delivered to China, knowing very well that it would eventually spread outside the lab. No need to debate. Let's talk in five years. I mean, he's just in that, he's at that level of like, it's a very prominent way of being for that type of person right now, which is to just like talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, even though you're, you're actually just not making any sense. No. And doesn't it make you sort of like go back and second guess like everything he's ever said? <laughs> like, but anything? didn't we always with Santino specifically? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I always thought like because he had the whole Project Runway angle that he did have something to say about fashion, which he does, I suppose. But like, but he was wasn't he like a monster on that show? And then we he was kind of like early canceled, canceled, and then suddenly he was a judge on RuPaul, and he kind of redeemed himself a little bit, but then he disappeared from that, and everybody was like, hmm. See, I guess I don't even follow his arc enough on, I don't even remember what year he was on Project Runway. He was like one of the it was early a long ones, time right? Ago. Like, yeah, it was early. I don't know. I mean, it had to be, because he was on Drag Race in, what, 2008? I think that's when the show started. Did he only judge, how many seasons did he judge on on Drag Race? I think he judged like three or four seasons. He was there for a while. He outlasted Merle by, by a couple years. Well, I never even saw Merle. 
Morel was the first. The first season, yeah. I think like the first two seasons. Really? Yeah. Um, it's like a long line of RuPaul judges who have gone batshit. Yeah, tis true. Did Morel go batshit too? No, but uh, Luca Piani, Piani, yes, Piangi. That's right. The the composer who fully like was tweeting on uh, amphetamine binge. Right. Yeah. And he, wouldn't he say like racist shit too? Oh, ev- I mean, just the worst things you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Even Rue tweeted back and was like, girl, girl back help up. yourself. Back Get, up. Go to rehab. So that's Santino Race. And then uh, I assume you've read about the Laura Osmes thing. So a story came out that she had gotten fired from a show because she didn't dis- Glows that she did not get or would not get the vaccine. She then came out with a statement afterward, essentially saying it was not that salacious. She basically thought it would be enough that she had a negative COVID test when she found out that they needed a vaccine. She decided to back out as basically that's not in her ministry, I guess. Her whole thing is what the talking points are now all all the time, which is basically like, oh, it's about individual rights and it's about you making choices for your family based on conversations with your doctor. It's all bullshit. It's all that same talking point nonsense that is just like, you just don't want to do it. You have been conditioned to think that it's dangerous and that it's a problem. And I get why you would, but like there still underlies the point that she did not want to get vaccinated. I think it might just be a flash in the pan as far as long-term career prospects but i do think it's a good sign that like theaters are just like if you're not vaccinated you can't work here yeah period yeah and i think that's what needs to be happening um for our industry uh and i think we need to stand firm as like producers need to stand firm as far as that's concerned so that's good as far as the drama and whether or not it was drama i'm sort of curious about what the facts are but there's there's no way for us to really find out Mm -hmm. because some of the stories were that like her co-star was kept on nagging her and was like i have kids at home like you need to get vaccinated but then another story was that she didn't even start rehearsals and this all went down before the rehearsal process began so Mm -hmm. i'm not sure what the tea is and i'm interested i'm also i mean i guess i'm interested in why the fuck people aren't getting vaccinated but i think i know any number of all this misinformation that I'm hearing all the time. Right. Uh, There's a really good episode. But then they don't actually talk about what they genuinely believe that can be debunked when they make their statement. They're just right. like, I'm making a personal decision. It's like, based on what information? Well, and the thing is... Because that's what I want to hear. They're always like, uh, well, I d- there are just so many questions and I want to... There's not enough research and I want to do... And I'm just like, bitch, pick up the phone and Google the shit. There is a lot of research out there. There's a lot of information mm-hmm. that is credible that you can actually rely upon. And then if nothing else, this like nationally recognized organization, internationally recognized organization, the FDA, that half of y'all been saying you're waiting to get approval, right. now just said there's approval. There's FDA approval for this vaccine. So like, what's the new talking point as to like individual rights? And I was also watching this video on YouTube, which is, you know, the most credible news source. But like, it, mm-hmm. it was basically depicting like people that are in hospitals right now that are still saying they won't get the vaccine like they're they're that are like dying of covid yeah they have there was this one guy that it actually it wasn't even just like a fake news story it was like a it was a new york times piece and there was a guy with a mask over his face and he was struggling to breathe and they were asking him will you get the vaccine and essentially he was like yeah i'll think about it or something and then he fucking died nine days later and it's like (laughs) What the fuck is going on? What is going on, y'all? Do we are we all seeing the same shit? Because I don't think we are. I mean, I know we're not, as far as like 
people that exclusively information. right people that are just like exclusively watching a certain set of channels or a certain set of like news streams and news sources which i i suppose one could say is true of me as well right. but like i feel like i at least question my shit all the time like i i, I don't know it's really hard for me to try to not be happy about people getting sick who didn't get vaccinated I know. um because I feel terrible about it, but there is like the sense of schadenfreude sometimes. And and then I'm like, I can't be that way. I can't be this bad of a person. Well, right. And that's the thing is that we always have to high road it. We all, Whenever you're on this side of shit, you always have to high. You can see it in the way Biden was interacting with Peter Ducey, that douchebag yes. from Fox News. Fox News. Where like, he's actually patiently trying to like, calmly explain his course of action and why things have been done this way and like he's engaging in a conversation with this person and you consider the last administration where everyone who was deemed an enemy of of trump was handled so combatively and disrespectfully and impatiently in these press Mm -hmm. conferences and it's such a way that i'm like i know we all see this right i'm not just seeing what i want to see i could objectively look at these two different presidents and the way they behave and mark a noted difference in how one behaves versus the other and understand that one of them is the the person i'd rather be handling things diplomatically with international relations and all this shit okay on to more fun stories since it's a randy episode who do we have to discuss in our bottom five lil nas yes motherfucker story number two a Lil Nas X and the Power Bottom era. Well, Lil Nas X recently released a video called Power Bottom. I think it's called Power Bottom, right? It Wait, like it's like U- the intro video for the album. It's like a huge. U- I, I love that we are doing a story on like Lil Nas X released a teaser of the album that's coming out in two weeks. We might as well just be a Lil Nas X promotional podcast. Are, I feel like this the asterisk after like Queer and On with Mr. Sister is that we are just a fan podcast for Lil Nas X. That's basically well, all we do. But yeah, Lil Nas X tweeted, creating this album has been therapy for me. I've learned to let go of trying to control people's perception of who I am, what I can do, and where I will be. I've realized the only opinion of me that really matters is my own. He then goes on to release a video, which is like a teaser for the album that's coming out, in which it's a continuation of this storyline that's been happening since uh, Call Me By Your Name, but more explicitly in uh, Industry Baby. Industry Baby. Thank you where he is on the run essentially for being or is arrested i think for being a power bottom homo (laughs) i don't remember the exact terminology that was used but it was basically just like a a fox news-esque host just ripping apart lil nas x and basically just saying things like he's a dirty homosexual and he's gross yes talentless homosexual talentless homosexual that's the phrase i was looking for thank you uh randy any thoughts I just think he's so skilled in promotion and taking everything negative that could be said about him and preempting it and mocking it and taking all the power out of it beforehand and afterwards. And the little snippet of the song that we hear, I'm very excited to hear. I'm so into it. It's like like poppy and hip hoppy and like, I'm, I'm very into it. Yeah, I like it. It's like he's smarter than his critics by like, two loops around the track and mm-hmm. it's just so satisfying to feel aligned with him and watch him just destroy everyone mm-hmm. and i'm really excited for the album and honestly even if i never listen to it i'm gonna love it <laughs> do you know what i mean you're gonna love its existence the fact that it, it 
that it exists. Well, because though. for me, I mean, I mean, and maybe he's doing this intentionally, but I actually do enjoy the past two songs. I mean, I I do enjoy his music, but for me, it's about his cultural presence as much as it is about him as a musician. Though I also do think he's talented as a as a musician. Gotcha. Um, but it's as much about the cultural presence and the way he's handling everything that I'm so in awe of. Yeah, he's just taking the piss out of everyone. He's such a master of Twitter and and Instagram mm-hmm. and this whole like way of manipulating these social media platforms to y- spread awareness about himself in a way that is just like, constantly two steps, like you said, two loops ahead of all the all of all of his critics. And mm-hmm. it's just so smart and so spot on. Story 2B is that he and Tony Hawk have bad blood. Here is this story. Lil Nas X took to Twitter on August 25th to voice his frustration over skateboarding legend Tony Hawk's new skateboard. The board, designed by Hawk and retailing for $500, contains a few drops of Hawk's blood in the paint. He writes, now that Tony Hawk has released skateboards with his blood painted on them and there was no public outrage, are y'all ready to admit y'all were never actually upset over the blood in the shoes? And maybe you were mad for some other reason? Mm-hmm. So once again, he's kind of taking the piss out of everyone because no one's really raising a big stink over these fucking skateboards with Tony Hawk's blood mixed in with the paint. And yet they were all up in arms over the fact that he released Satan shoes with his blood in them randy any thoughts could on this? it be because he's a straight white man <laughs> yeah i mean this is not really worthy of discussion i just wanted to find any reason to talk about little nas x ever well it, it is annoying that the story is framed as like blood between little nas x and tony hawk when really right. little nas x is, is calling out the rest of the world for exactly. not making a big deal about this it has nothing to do with really exactly. tony hawk really and tony hawk like seemingly seemed to enjoy getting the piss taken out of him and of course um he's usually game he's like a ally-ish I yeah guess. I don't yeah know. i played his video game back in the day that's about it so that means he's an ally because you yeah play his video game. <laughs> of course doesn't that count yeah that's totally it i i guess that i don't know if you are gay and you like something does that automatically make that thing an ally it depends on how, how self-hating you are fair hmm. which probably given the time period that i played tony hawk <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why else would I have been playing the game if I didn't hate myself? <laughs> Trying to pretend I was like a skater boy. Okay. Story number three. OnlyFans puts the dildo back in. I don't know why I decided to do these titles. I don't know why. I'm trying a new thing with these stories, and it's like, I don't know if this works. This, this whole segment is it's just on thin ice, to be honest. But um, <laughs> They put it back in. It was not clean when they took it out, but they still put it back in. Yes, OnlyFans dropped plans to ban pornography from its service less than a week after the UK content creator subscription site had announced the change, citing the need to comply with policies of banking partners. Basically, due to some banking policies only fans thought they were going to have to cancel their relationships with any sex workers or porn workers on their sites which basically is their entire the whole site, site. <laughs> the whole site. that's all anyone i know uses only fans for i don't know anyone that's going to only fans for like gardening tips or anything but like you know uh basically they were trying to sever ties with people who were using it for porn and sever ties is actually a really nice way of putting it 
And then basically they realized that they were going to lose all of their business and decided to change their minds and allow porn to be on the platform. This has led to kind of like in the wake of this whole thing, there being sort of a distaste for OnlyFans, considering that they weren't really there to support sex workers and support the people that actually needed the money. Seemingly, you know, their hands were tied, I, I guess one could argue. Mm-hmm. Um, now other sites like just for fans or for my fans, I think it is. Is coming out to sort of fill the vacuum that's been left from OnlyFans is disappointing so many of the sex, work- sex workers on the platform. And it is touted as, I should figure out, it's either just for fans or for my fans, but it's touted as a queer I think it's just business. for fans. Just for fans is the queer owned business. I think, but I could be wrong. I think so. That's the one I've heard of. I haven't heard of the other one you're saying. I think, okay, then let's say it's just for fans. But there are a lot of, there are a lot of performers that I, have decided to move to that platform because that platform does seem to support sex work and queer identity in all its forms. Um, Randy, any thoughts on this OnlyFans story? Yes. OnlyFans sucks and has always (laughs) sucked. And like, um, it's amazing that sex workers have been able, especially during the pandemic, but beyond sort of take more autonomy over their their business and their careers and their lives. So I love it for that. Mm -hmm. But it's from the beginning, it has, it's had not promoted sex workers. It's sort of tried to pretend that it wasn't what it was this whole time. I mean, and it makes it really been, to be honest, I've only, my only uh, experience with OnlyFans is when I'm like following someone on Instagram and they provide a link to some OnlyFans site that I'm never going to pay for. But like, I don't, I don't know of this history of exploiting like people that have worked for them before, or at least they don't exploit. They just are intentionally sort of cagey about what they are. They're trying to pretend that they're not a, a sex, a sex for, I mean, a site for, for sex workers and pornography primarily. And they're trying to be like, we're wholesome content. So the whole like search function, you know, you can't like find content like porn. You have to like basically be linked directly to it. So there's no way for, um, people to self-promote within the site really i didn't um, know that i mean it's shifted a little bit but then you know when they cancel it's just kind of like who the fuck do you think you are why are you biting the hand that feeds you right um and i'm glad that there's this other site i mean my i there needs to be a site that is sex positive that is queer positive that owns what it is that helps the people who are making them money that promotes them and legitimizes the work that they're doing which is totally legitimate work and it just doesn't feel like OnlyFans is gonna do that and in a way i was kind of excited that they were going to ban because then they would have tanked and some other more sex positive queer positive entity hopefully would have emerged I mean, it seems um, like because there's no way they would have survived. It's like Tumblr. Like, right. It seems like that is what's happening, though. I mean, like the thing I'm noticing, especially on most of what the popular OnlyFans members have is like they'll say like, so I'm still going to keep uploading my shit to OnlyFans because I already have such a huge fan base here. But I will. Yeah, also that's the be, issue. I will also be uh, using this other website. So I think they are kind of trying to build up these other platforms in an effort to kind of decrease the power that OnlyFans, or at least the monopoly that OnlyFans has over the sort of DIY sex work industry. I mean, the one thing is that I, I mean, I, I'm not sure why they, why they changed their mind, but I feel like it had to have been the fact that like 
what percentage of their income comes from people who make sexual content. Like it has to right. be a vast majority. So I feel like it's not just the uproar. It's it's that the sex workers actually do have power in the situation. They have econo- like real economic power. Right. And so hopefully recognizing that, you know, the industry can be more empowered and the workers can be more empowered and they can, you know, things can shift a little bit. I mean, that's massively hopeful, but there's a long history in the world of industries presenting a certain front and making all their money from sex work, drug work and exploitation. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. Story number four, Jojo Siwa les us out for dancing with the stars. (laughs) (laughs) Your titles. I'm trying some new and I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote these titles. I was like, I was like, oh, that's snarky and hilarious, but also respectful. And it's like, no, it's Is not. It? No, it's not at all. It's totally <laughs> fucked up. But anyway, so Jojo Siwa is going to make history as the first person on Dancing with the Stars who will partner with someone of the same sex. This is Dancing with the Stars' 96th season on the air, I believe. Wait, what? No, I'm joking. You're joking. I'm totally Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was like, do they do, like, five seasons a year? You know, I've never seen that show. I've I've never never seen seen it either. I've seen, like, clips and stuff, and I'm like, this is not in any way It's not my thing. I am not the target audience for this. I don't enjoy this. I won't enjoy this. I, no. I say no, sir. But yeah, so Jojo Siwa will be the first person to actually dance with someone of the same gender, same sex, on the stage of Dancing with the Stars. You and I have both basically just said we don't give a fuck about this program anyway, so there's not really much to say, other than the fact that this will be on a major network. This Dancing with the Stars airs on ABC, and as we know it, major networks, uh, the big three or big four, reach the majority of households in the United States, so... For representation, Mima's going to be watching it. Mima's going to be watching. So throwing ready at the television. What are your thoughts on Jojo Siwa? Uh, well, uh, okay, I have Jojo another sex. confession. I would have no idea who Jojo Siwa was if Except- somebody didn't do her on Snatch Game. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it's exactly the same. What was a lemon? Is that her name? Who did it on? Yes, and she did well. Yeah, she did really well. She did really well. She's um, but I had still had no idea who she was, and I saw a picture of her, and I thought it was like a fanning girl playing a part of like a bubblegum <laughs> queen or something. No, no. So I don't know, but that's I her. Think it's and great. She, she looks like a smooth thirty-six years old, right? You know what? I didn't look closely. I, I thought don't it was no. I. I don't think she's that old, but she, there's something, the image that she's portraying is so youthful, but then you look at her and you're like, you're not that young. So I'm a little creeped out, but that's creepy. That's creepy. But maybe, oh wait, wasn't she, I think she was a kid on Dance Moms, which means she's probably not that old. Wait, but I watched Dance Moms, <laughs> but I only watched very early Dance Moms. Oh, the many layers of Randy Harrison. I love it. <laughs> Sarah Lee and I were very into Dance Moms. That makes um, sense. I love that. I wish uh, I had been on that couch watching with you. <laughs> that would have been a lot of fun. But, um, I mean, I'm glad there's going to be same-sex partners on Dancing with the Stars. I, I love watching people of the same gender doing lots of things with each other. Yeah, agreed. So, I, I It'll think, be fun, too, if they like switch up the leading and following yeah, pattern. Yeah. Like, in the middle of the dance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, it's... Uh, it, it once again boggles my mind that this is like... The first time. The first time. And that it's like such a big deal that it's happening. I mean, like, it, it is a big deal. I get it. But I always rem- I always have to remember that, like, wherever I think I am at any given moment, like, the majority of people are not in the same 
space as I am as far as like queer thinking and like queer readiness for shit. I'm already getting annoyed in my head that they're going to style one in a masculine way and one in a feminine way. And they're going to try to like gender them to make the audience more comfortable as opposed to just having them be anything. I know. Exactly. So I'm like cautiously optimistic, but I'm not really because I know what network TV does, which is just like flatten everything. Like the fact that they think this is edgy is just like, okay, this is this is the level of discourse that we're at, where like Jojo Siwa is going to dance with a girl and that's a big deal. But as you said, Mima is going to see this and <laughs> it might be what sends Mima over the edge. But like, I'm, I'm kind of I'm I'm excited to see the discussion that this sparks among people who are not really into queer debate and queer conversations. Um, I'm sure it will be presented in such a way that it can be ignored as easy as possible. <laughs> that is the American way. Okay, story number five. Debbie Lovato has hit a little bit of hot water uh, within the past couple of weeks because they say they may identify as trans one day. In a recent interview with the 19th Represents Summit, the star, who came out as non-binary earlier this year, revealed there might be a time where I identify as trans. They say, there might be a time where I identify as non-binary and gender non-conforming my entire life. Or maybe there's a period of time when I get older that I identify as a woman. They continued before adding, I don't know what that looks like. Lovato then went on to explain that while they identify as non-binary in this moment, they also have a feeling that it's not going to ever go back to one way or the other. All of which is to say it's all about keeping it open and free for them. They added, I'm a very fluid person. And so that goes on. And so that goes with how I express myself as well. Blah, blah, blah. So basically, the reason why Demi got in hot water over this was the suggestion that they could be trans one day. They could be this. They could be that. There were a lot of people, especially trans people, who were quite vocal about the fact that, like, you know, it's not just sort of something that you wear, or it's not something that you sort of try on. It's kind of an identity that you know from birth, that you know there is something different about you, and that I that identity that you come to realize is trans. It's not something that you sort of are just like, yeah, you know, maybe I'm trans, maybe not. Nah, nah. And I think that's most of what the controversy is around the whole situation. Randy Harrison, do you have any thoughts? Yes, I do. I have a lot of thoughts on this. First of all, I totally understand your distaste for them, but I don't quite, I do think the story's sort of interesting in that I feel like, you know, gay rights groups back in the day and trans rights, in order to advocate for being treated equally, have had to argue from the beginning that like, I'm completely born this way. I'm, uh, you know, I'm gay. I'll always be gay. I can't change. I can't be put into conversion camp. And, you know, this, but at the same time, you know, the whole idea of queer is like a fluidity and in a, like a like a vast expansiveness and not like a narrowingness. Mm-hmm. And I understand what they're saying as far as, especially if you identify as non-binary, it's like some days you wake up and you feel like a woman and then tomorrow you might feel more masculine on the spectrum if you even think of it as a spectrum or often you wake up and you're like, gender's a bullshit construct. And I think you sh- one should be allowed to do that, but people, you know, can't quite conceptualize that. And I understand why, in order to frame an argument for equal rights to a heterosexual straight majority population, you have to be like, this is what I am entirely, and I deserve equal rights by being this trans people. And I also understand that a lot of people are like absolutely 
a trans woman, you know, absolutely, this thing, absolutely, a Kinsey six, totally gay. But a lot of people are in the middle, and I, I don't think everybody changes, but I think you need to be open to the possibility that it could happen and doesn't, like, delegitimize what your experience was before. Like, mm-hmm. I really doubt that I'm going to wake up straight tomorrow, but if it happens, I need to be in a position where I'm like, fuck, I'm straight. And, like, people aren't like, you're... I don't know. I think it's an interesting discussion. I know what you're um, saying. I know what you're saying. And I, I will admit that part of my inherent just disdain for anything that happens Demi Lovato-wise is just because I find Demi Lovato just very frustrating just yes. as an individual. And I really do want to support anyone in their journey and anyone who is, you know, coming to terms with any form of identity that they that they feel best represents them. The problem that I have with Demi Lovato is that I often find that they act as a spokesperson for things that they should not act as a spokesperson for. Absolutely. And it's the same sort of frustration that I had with someone like Nico Tortorella when they were on RuPaul's Celebrity Drag Race, where basically, you know, Nico Tortorella is an actor that we've seen since since they were a teenager, or if not younger. We know how Nico Tortorella acts, and yet when they get on to... RuPaul's Drag Race, the expression of queerness becomes amplified in such a way that I don't find it genuine. I find it to be performative. And where that sort of falls in line with Demi Lovato for me is that like, I think they both are sort of very public faces of this non-binary genderqueer movement. But I think in, I think they speak in such a way that does not fully comprehend or understand this history that has made it available for them to be genderqueer and non-binary in such a public way. And I think as such, they talk with a level of authority that does not respect or acknowledge the struggle that came before them. And that right. made it so that they're able to be who they are. And look, as far as this story in particular goes... Do I, I, I do think it's being blown out of proportion. I don't think Demi Lovato meant to in any way suggest that their identity as a non-binary person and, and gender fluidity is the equivalent of a trans person. I do, however, think that the inherent problem with this whole situation is that Demi Lovato is being given a platform where they can talk about these things as if they are the voice yeah. of this movement. And so that's why I get frustrated by them. Singular and plural. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Well, that was the bottom five. <laughs> um, okay. So, Randy, are you ready for this week's stupid quiz? As long as it's better than fleet rarity. So, it's going... Oh, you know what? I also totally... Did you ever figure out what a guy in bling was? No. What is it? The Lion King. The Lion King. Yeah. See, it's hard. It that, is hard. I hate that. that I'm it getting PTSD. Just don't don't it. even think about it. So, Randolph, for this week's quiz, as we are discussing White Lotus and the world that it represents of resort and spa life, everything is sort of very zen, you know, crickets in the morning dew as you're experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that world is yoga. And yes. I thought it would be fun to say some yoga poses. And you're, okay. you, you've done a quite a bit of yoga, yes? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've done a fair bit of yoga in my life. Well, then I think this, this quiz should be a cakewalk for you. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'm just going to... I'm not going to say the Sanskrit version of the name. I'm going to say what the translated version is. Um, okay. 
I'm going to tell you a yoga pose. And you need to tell me if it is an actual asana, in which case you will say asana. Or if it's something I made up, in which case you okay. will say asana na na. Got it. We got it? Yes. Okay. All right, Randy. Yes. Queer. We. Go. Mountain pose. Asana. Yes. Chair pose. Asana. Sword pose. Asana na na. Yes. Glacier pose. Asana na na. Yes. Ostrich pose. Asana. Yes. Boat pose. Asana. Yes. Widow pose. Asana na na. Warrior two. Asana. Triangle pose. Asana. Tree pose. Asana. Tank pose. Asana na na na. Bridge pose. Asana. Badger pose. Asana na na. Corpse pose. Asana. Reverse windmill pose. Asana na na. Plank pose. Asana. Church or cathedral pose. Asana na na. Upward facing dog. Asana. Llama pose. Asana na na. <laughs> make sure you make sure you get that third na in, bitch. Otherwise, it doesn't count. Uh, half moon pose. Asana. Dolphin pose. Asana. Cauldron pose. Asana na na. Camel pose. Asana. Hornet pose. Asana na na. Wheel pose. Asana. Bridge pose. Asana. Lightning pose. Asana na na. Thunderbolt pose. Asana na na. No, that one's right. That I want to do Thunderbolt pose. <laughs> I love these poses that you're making up. I really. <laughs> no, Thunderbolt pose is a real one. Thunderbolt pose What's is real. I don't know. Rabbit pose. Asana na na. No, that is that is a real that is a real asana. Yeah, I thought that was real. Infant pose. I mean, sometimes people call it infant pose or child pose. I think it's an asana. Okay, I'll give it to you since it's child pose, but I've never heard anyone call it infant pose. You've heard that? Well, there's happy baby too. I mean, <laughs> but infant. Okay, all right, fine. Leave it. Fish okay. pose. Asana? Yes. Girl. Girl. That's the I'm, best you've ever done on one of yeah. my stupid quizzes, which I can't... I think that means I need to step my pussy up. I think I no, need to make these quizzes. You just need to combine last week's with this week's, <laughs> and I even out as a like, semi-competent person. You crushed that. And as a prize, I'm going to give you a week's resort stay here in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> You need to quarantine for two weeks, get a blood test, go uh, talk, talk to a shaman for three weeks, make love to several men across the Amalfi Coast, and then... Oh, yeah, yeah, problem. it's not a bad, it's not a bad gig, but then you only get a week at, a, at the resort and spa here, and it is closed. It's so, closed. <laughs> yes. You'll be in a tent outside. <laughs> yes, yes. And, I, good. and I'm not buying the tent. Buying the tent. Buying the tent. Produced and written HBO HBO Max series White Lotus. 
The series has a lot of big name stars in it, most notably Connie Britton, Natasha Rothwell, Steve Zahn, Jennifer Coolidge, Jake Lacey, and Murray Bartlett. The show takes place at a fictional resort and spa called White Lotus on a Hawaiian island. It is a high, high, high end resort and spa for the very wealthy to come spend a week. You can have a spa treatment at the spa, which is directed by Natasha Rothwell's character, where you have all sorts of different massages, all sorts of different treatments. And then there are a number of activities the way there would be at any sort of like beaches type spa, but this is much higher end. Well, Mike White, uh, the mind behind Chuck and Buck, Enlightened, and School of Rock, brings another series to HBO, this time to HBO Max. And it is a six-part limited series that premiered earlier this summer on the streaming service. I have many thoughts on this show, but Randy, I wanted to send it off to you, as it was you who suggested we do this for the episode. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on White Lotus? I love it, but it provokes a lot of feelings, conflicting feelings, which I think it kind of does intentionally. Something I'm realizing about myself as an audience member after having discussed Schmigadoon with you is that it's always uh, takes me a bit of an effort to dismantle my own expectations and try to actually see the work of art as as what it was just created to do. And I think especially with a show about so many complicated things like colonialism and race and privilege and Mm -hmm. everything, you know, I want it to be so many things Mm -hmm. and it's, it can't, it's not, it's one, one guy's one take on sort of touching on these issues without. And so like much like Schmigadoon, I just had to accept that it wasn't a takedown of Rogers and Hammerstein, which is what I wanted it to be initially and accept Mm -hmm. it for what it was. I think this the way it started, I wanted it to be this sort of vicious eviscerating of these white people. And I don't know what it, I wanted it to be things that could never have been like really talking about American colonialism by, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which it's, which it, it can't be, but it acknowledges all those things. So it doesn't ignore them. So they do exist in the reality that the thing takes place in. What Which, were, if, as far as like a real evisceration, what what were you looking for that you did not get from the series? Well, I guess I guess I wanted the stories to be more centered on the indigenous people and the, like the people, the, the the black, like the I mean Natasha Rothwell's yes. character is, yes. you know, sort of the typical like really supporting, barely featured like black supporting character in a thing like this, which especially with her i'm like well that's a waste of her talent right but but at the same time it's kind of the point of the thing and i do like it's like the fact that like you know there's a in, indigenous hawaiian woman who's in the first episode <laughs> is like a major character and then just disappears right but i i kind of think it's intentional <laughs> right and i think it's a part of why the whole thing works and is so um is both is unsatisfying and makes you feel a little icky but is also sort of complete in what it is i i Mm -hmm. I, the more i think about it the more i'm like okay that's what that show is and that's okay with that it's not you know a story about natasha rithwell uh rothwell like triumphing and ripping off and how terrible but it kind of is too Mm -hmm. i don't know it provokes a lot of discussion which is why i wanted you to see it yeah so beyond the overall thematic things of it i mean the performances are so astoundingly good i mean every single person is like 
I mean, there's other things that I'd rather see Natasha Rothwell doing, but she does Agreed. this brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, everybody, I mean, I've never seen Jennifer Coolidge like that. And, you and it, I mean, but it has pathos. I mean, the scene on the boat with where it's so funny, but it's also totally really sad. But yeah, the whole thing just, I feel like, walks this line where. And I think that's was my problem with it is like I want to be able to be a hundred percent laughing meanly at these characters. I see. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can't quite. And that's kind of what, yeah, the what show raises the show doesn't want you to hate them. The show doesn't want you to laugh at them. It kind of But they wants... are despicable. It acknowledges how despicable they are, I think. Yeah, but you know, I guess that's sort of my the frustrating experience that I had with the show is interestingly kind of the flip side of yours, which is that like, I thought it was very well written. I thought it was very well acted. I thought it was really well directed. I liked it a lot. I just think inherently what it's attempting to do is ultimately a half measure because it's trying to, you know, hold a light up to like wealthy society and establish that all the, all of these characters are completely self-involved and have no, real interest in the very real stakes for people that are happening around. I mean, there's literally a woman whose water broke in the middle of this resort and no one knows or cares. Uh, the, uh, an indigenous woman who's working there. The biggest thing that people, that Mary Bartlett's character can care about is this weird stain that's, uh, that's above her tit. And he like openly like dehumanizes her. I mean, he like rubs her tit. He rubs, he treats her body as if it's something that he has access to. And there's the, there are these interesting moments like that, that I'm like, I want the show to go further with that because this whole like following despondent, affluent white people who are despicable, but we still follow them is just not enough for me anymore. There's this whole storyline involving this fucking gorgeous native Hawaiian young man who gets coerced into essentially committing a crime. And then, you know, without giving too too many spoilers, he things end up not so great for him. And at a certain point, the story just like doesn't follow him. And I do think that that's by design, you know, we sort of follow him as he breaks into the apartment and then, uh, because we, the people in the story like have the privilege of just pretending. I mean, even Brittany O'Grady's character, who basically made it happen, can right. pretend it never happened. Right. And I think that that is one of the interesting things about the character of Paula, who Brittany O'Grady uh, plays. And, you know, she is in many ways kind of meant to be like a cipher for... The, the audience race discussion yeah like she's supposed to be yeah she's kind of supposed to be like the moral conscious or the moral center of the series or at least the voice that is questioning all this shit around her and right. yet it's all about like your proximity to power and your proximity to whiteness and in this situation her proximity to power posits her in such a way that she will not have to take blame and can openly deny this young man's existence even though she is part of the reason why he's in the situation she is completely the reason the main reason i mean why he's in the situation he's in and again i do understand that that is what the story is giving us but for example there is again spoiler alert but there is a sort of cathartic moment that natasha rothwell is afforded 
in one of the final, one of her final scenes on the show. And it takes six episodes to get there. And for those prior five episodes, we do get to see her trying to navigate this very difficult territory where someone has essentially like bought her. Jennifer Coolidge's <laughs> character has essentially like bought her for the week that she's there. And it works under this guise of friendship and business partnership, which is very tricky territory, especially when you add this power dynamic to it. And I think that is one of the things that's like really deftly written. I think like the whole dance that Natasha Rothwell has to play with Jennifer Coolidge's character the entire time, I think is really well written and really well handled. The problem Mm -hmm. is that I feel like all of those other characters still get to be flawed characters and Natasha Rothwell ends up still just being sort of like, a noble black woman. Do you know what I mean? She, she yeah. There's no real dimension to her. She's there because she, she wants to start a business and Jennifer Coolidge is sort of planting the seed in her, essentially saying that she, not planting the seed, she's explicitly saying that she wants to start a business for her. And right. so, but that becomes her entire arc. And I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying in that. I mean, honestly, her character was the, the biggest problem for me. Uh, and I, I kind of felt like they had this one scene of her in a parking lot sort of talking on the phone near the beginning where you sort of, it gives her a life outside of the White Lotus a little bit. And, you know, she's talking to a friend or a partner about how, you know, this opportunity that might be happening and how she should just go for it. And it felt, it felt tacked on to me Very in a way. So. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I understand your criticisms. Absolutely. I really liked Murray Bartlett's performance. I thought so good. I thought he did a great job. And it's kind of made me realize that, like, I don't know that he's just always gotten the right vehicles for what he's been able to do. No, because he's always kind of like the hot gay guy. Yeah. Yeah. And with this, he was still hot. He was still very sexy, but he got Uh to have, like, so much depth and he got to, I I, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought the life that he brought to this character was well above what was demanded for on the page and i thought not that the not that what was written was bad i thought it was really well written too but i just thought he like went above and beyond yeah i thought it was great i i mean i absolutely get your criticism and but the more i mean the more i think about it i do feel like in a way the the employees were the central part of the it's just so complicated to make a story about these people who, and the point of of them is that they're somewhat disposable to the people around them, yes. but centering. So I do think like, you know, it began with everybody arriving on the island and, you know, the employees have to like wave and smile at the rich people who show up. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the series, you know, it's basically a whole other group almost mm-hmm. of the people who are completely interchangeable to these privileged uh, white people who are coming who are ignored. I mean, the whole first episode, Murray Bartlett is like, you have to be vague to them. Right. <laughs> and like, right. it's better if they can ignore your existence. Like, don't be human. Don't have like a real presence, mm-hmm. you know, dress in a way that's like not intimidatingly dapper, but clean and ignorable. <laughs> right. I mean, right. to the point where like a splotch on her, on her right. shirt is like the, the biggest problem that the resort has ever seen. And I don't know. I think it's like a very difficult thing to navigate. And I I think it was done well, because when I think about it, I even though they weren't central in a way, it was sort of about how these the the guests lives, it was centering the employees in a way where who I really think about is Murray Bartlett and Natasha Rothwell and the people who are left after these people breeze in and leave again, Mm -hmm. and how they fucking keep going. 
mm-hmm. and do it. And there were just so many moments of the deepest awkwardness. And in a way where that scene would normally be presented without making the audience aware of the awkwardness that is there to somebody who's marginalized or the employee who we feel like as like all those dinners with Jennifer Coolidge and Atatha Ross, it just felt like an actor having to go to dinner with, you know, the, the person who pays at the theater who's yes. on the fundraising board. Yes. It's like, we're yes. always like that, like propped out and we're completely interchangeable because we're not going to get hired by the theater again, but we're making them money right now by being whored out to this rich person who wants to have dinner with a cute gay guy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so often those scenes are presented, allowing the audience to watch it with while it completely ignoring Natasha Rothwell's uncomfortableness and so that they can be comfortable with it. And there is no comfort in this show, which I think is a gift. What do you think the show is saying that is new? Let me sort of frame the question, which is that like, I totally hear you as far as what the series is doing, as far as like, the way it's saying these people's lives are disposable to these wealthy people and the way this class of people lives is in, is in such a way that is completely ignorant of the lives of lesser well-off people around them such to the point that they are actually just erased and invisible and it's a way like america goes through the the world basically yes i guess my thing is like i've seen that you know the sort of trope of like horrible rich people i mean and this is one of the things that they were talking about on Pop Culture Happy Hour, but like HBO has kind of built a brand on that. Yeah, off that's that true. In the last few years, like with Succession, with The Undoing, with Big Little Lies, um, you know, they're this is kind of becoming HBO's brand, which is to like look inward at the inner workings of like horrible rich white people, and I'm just so that the rich white people watching can feel like they're not quite as terrible as the people that they're watching. Not even necessarily that. It could be very well that they think they are terrible and that they identify and see their own terribleness in these people. That is totally possible. But we still center the story around those people. We still center that whiteness. And even as we're breaking it down and even as we're criticizing it, I get what we think we're doing. But the sort of like meta argument that I'm making is that like, you can do all the breaking down you want. You can do all the deconstructing that you want. At the end of the day, we're still telling their stories. And I'm not right. saying that we can't have a space in which we don't tell their stories, but like, but yeah. on uh, this pop culture happy hour episode, they were talking about like upstairs, downstairs and like Downton Abbey and the shows work because it's not just an over glamorized version of that life. You know, there is a clear understanding of the classes and how they interact. Now, as to how, how well that's executed is up to anyone. That's up to you. But what they at least try to do is present both sides as if they are of equal worth. Equal weight. Yeah. Narratively. And what I have a problem with with this show is that it's so busy trying to say how horrible it is that we don't see these people that we then don't see these people. And again, <laughs> I get that that's what the point is. I get that that's what he's doing. But I would give him more credit for that if this were the first time that we'd seen this. Or even if this were the first time that HBO had done this. But the last series that he wrote was all about a, a rich white woman kind of realizing how horrible she was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I agree with you. I, I feel like to me, the probably the only thing unique is Mike White's specific point of view on it and his weird humor and the way that he wrote for these actors to do their thing made it 
differently compelling for me than like watching succession yeah there there's a wryness and an irony to succession because it's uh it's adam mckay and so you know it, it kind of has a similar what's the word i'm looking for sardonic feel to it that i think the difference with mike white's work is that i actually think mike white stuff is much more sincere it's getting at these people are horrible but like whereas succession it's like these people are horrible and there's really not much that's redeemable about them, but we can enjoy watching these. We can enjoy kind of watching fucked up things happen to this family because they're horrible. This right. isn't really like that. That's not what Mike White's energy is. Mike White, I think underneath it all sees the good in these people. And I, I'm, I get that. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I guess I just wish that, you know, even, even when it comes the story of the Islanders, at the very end, I don't want to give away the very ending, but like the kind of final shot we see is a bunch of men on a boat and the person that were, most of them are men of color, Hawaii, uh, Hawaiian natives. And the person that we're focused on is the white character the white guy. who's rowing away in this boat with them. And I'm like, well, I get what we're doing when we talk about the erasure of these other characters, but you're literally filming a scene right now where there's five other men of color in the scene and you're only focusing on the white guy. So it's a little bit like physician heal thyself because you're shining a light on this problem, but you're doing nothing to solve it other than shining a light on it. I don't know. I don't know. I have a question though. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, as like a older, wealthy gay white man, which Mike White is, mm -hmm. is it his business to tell the other story? You know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. Does he just, I, what and story can he, can he tell any story or should he just shut up and like raise money for other artists to tell other stories? I guess what I'm, my response to that is, and that's very tricky because no, I don't think that, that the responsibility is on Mike White. I think the response It's like, how would it would be if he like wrote us something about a native person? I mean, well, uh, I, I don't know. Did he write the whole, did he have a staff? I assume he had a staff. No, he did it all. He just did it him. all himself. He wrote it all just him and he directed it all just him. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, in that regard, you're absolutely right. I don't think it's his responsibility to tell anyone's story. I think it's his responsibility to write a story that he thinks he can tell. And I think he did that. My criticism of the show is not really, it's hard for me to watch the show in a vacuum. You know, it's sort of hard for me to just yeah. like take the show on its own merits because it exists within a larger canon of work that even in its criticism of white guilt and white wealth and white nonsense does nothing to break down that white guilt and white nonsense. So yeah, I hear what you're saying and I and don't I totally hear your criticism. I don't think it's on Mike white. I, it's just tricky to have a conversation like with this because it's not, it's not big little lies season three. It's a whole nother series called white Lotus. And I'm like, well, right. what are we doing? What are, what are we doing as a network? So for this week's deep dive, we're kind of looking at the world of wellness. We're kind of looking at the world of spa life, resort life, um, the inequities in that life that, you know, are sort of given visual depiction in white Lotus. I'm sort of at a loss for how to tie it in with queerness, but I'm sure that there are ways that we can tie it in with queerness because there's a way to tie everything in with queerness. So Randy, I'm curious what your thoughts are on like this whole world that's depicted in white Lotus. And I, I guess the sort of central question that I'm asking and that I'm looking for is like this world that's built around like serenity and peace and taking stress away is 
an inherently inequitable one? I mean, I I initially came about this based on uh, an earlier discussion we had about distrust of like traditional medicine. Mm -hmm. People distrust traditional medicine because people have a complete misunderstanding about what medicine is actually capable of doing, Mm -hmm. which is sort of rooted in everybody avoiding the reality that we're going to die. Like nobody can acknowledge that. So I think all of these like new age things are attempts to stave off death and aging. And people begin to distrust the medical like institution and traditional medicine when they die, but like people always die. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing medicine or (laughs) yoga or any vaccine is going to do that's going to prevent your imminent death. So like until you accept that, People are, and so people get mad at at traditional medicine when people die, and mm-hmm. it's like, no, that's actually what's going to happen. All medicine can do mm-hmm. is ideally extend life to some extent, which it has. Like historically, we live way longer. Like children aren't dying of diseases now; it's doing well, but it's not going to end death. And I, and I do feel like the wellness industry and the spa thing is is rooted in this sort of feeling that you can buy off the fact that you're going to die. Like you can't, like mm-hmm. no matter how much you pay, you're going to die. Like your body is going to fall apart <laughs> and kill you and, and, and you're going to die. Yeah. And like, there are no fucking miracles. Like no vaccine is a miracle, no cure for cancer. Y- y- there can be a cure for cancer and people are still going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because people really don't come to terms with that, <laughs> And the fact that like that's completely illogical, mm-hmm. people are trying to put logic to something that's inna- innately I- illogical, mm-hmm. which is you die and it's arbitrary and there's nothing that you can do con- to control. There's no amount of healthy eating. There's no amount of stretching and meditation that can make that not happen. Right. I do think wellness as an institution is it's just a marketing ploy. It's mm-hmm. it's bullshit ways to make money from rich people selling them things that you're not actually really selling them. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's the goop. It's the goop of it all. Yeah, it's the goop of it all. And it's <laughs> right. like a lot of what's being sold is is not being sold. And there's a lot of opportunities for wellness or better health that are free that mm-hmm. people can take advantage of. But I do recognize that there is a certain amount of privilege because, I mean, if, if you're working nonstop in a toxic environment and you can't quit, I mean, there's things that you cannot do. Right. Um, so there is a certain amount of privilege. But I do think a lot of it is people buying things. They think they're going to live longer. They think they're going to be more attractive. I guess for me is like, you know, so much of what these worlds depict is kind of a a really sort of safe exotification of something. And what I mean by that is like, in the story, we learned that this like developer came in and basically kicked the native people off their land in order to build this resort called White Lotus, which is then designed to like mostly let white people come and the native population that is there essentially works there and provides entertainment. You know, they're kind of there to like do hula shows and fire shows and the whole like sort of idea, the sort of commodified idea of what life in Hawaii is. And that's often how I feel about like 
yoga. We've taken this sort of like sacred old other culture and sort of sanitized it and made it palatable for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's so much of what the like wellness world in America is for me, at least. Does, is that making any sense? Yeah. I mean, we, we parse it out in translated packages that are easily sellable and profitable, yeah. but it's not actually the foundation of what the, these practices right. are. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about it too, in terms of like, I've been watching a lot of absolutely fabulous because I'm always watching a lot of absolutely fabulous because I fucking love mm-hmm. that show. And so much of what they're into is sort of the latest like health trend or new age right. medicine trend. And you sort of, what they do so expertly is point out how hollow the affinity for it is. Right. Because it's based, it's, you know, it's sort of like, you know, whenever Madonna would like borrow a culture for a few right. months right. to uh, promote an album, you know, and I'm thinking specifically of like Ray of Light when I don't even know specifically what culture she was taking from. There were a variety of cultures that she was sort of referencing. That's the nice way of putting it. Appropriating is probably the more appropriate way of putting it. But right. um, it's tricky because I know we're not just talking about like wellness. I'm, I'm kind of talking about like a specific, the commodity of like spa life, like this commodity of using these like tropical environments, you know, having a spa in Hawaii that is meant to sort of like mimic the experience of being in Hawaii. And yet what they did is <laughs> displace the actual native Hawaiian people in order to like replicate this experience of Hawaii for white people. Yeah. It's like colonialization. It's like, it's like stealing other people's cultures and like packaging it into things they can resell to America in a way that it's complicated though, too, because I believe that like yoga and meditation are really healthy practices and actually really good for you it's it's about the way that it's marketed and sold and taught in order to become a profitable thing in Mm -hmm. america Mm -hmm. and uh i mean that's like a capital i mean everything is from food to to health to practices and it's like you can't become a like an aesthetic without becoming and it like to going into like a rock on a hill and meditating all day like you can't do like (laughs) 10 minutes of a tape in the middle of on the subway and become that thing and pretend you are that thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is essentially like capitalism at work. It is the Mm -hmm. commodification of something, you know, all of these like creams and products that come out with these like organic and natural, like of the earth ingredients that are then priced up in such a way that like make them that the people who would have normally gotten them naturally cannot afford them in these packaged forms. And you know, that that becomes a whole class thing, you know, this, uh, the ability to be as healthy as you possibly can be becomes a sign of your class in this country. Right. I mean, look at weight in this country. It's like, it's very class based, I think to some extent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Okay, well, that was a good deep dive. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we solved it because I don't really know what we. <laughs> I don't even know what we were talking I don't know about. What we were talking about. <laughs> I think, like I said, I I have been feeling a little uninspired this week, and I just don't know what there is that I feel like talking about because I just there's nothing going on with me, so it's like it's hard for me to. I just basically want to find any 
excuse to talk to you and this is kind of the only way we do it <laughs> so it's basically just an op- we're i'm basically just recording us having a phone call well, built that's normal built vaguely around us having a conversation of white lotus and multiple other things so yeah that's that's basically just what this is well that brings us to our final segment of the week our Uh, at this point of the show, we like to take a look at what's going on in the world and offer our own take as to why it's happening. The truth is here. The truth is queer. And namaste. Randy, do you have Will a you go first? Well, I go first? I'm going to come up with one while you're talking. <laughs> I wanted to come up with one while you were talking. <laughs> okay. All well, right. I have a conspiracy that's not a conspiracy. Go ahead. Do it, girl. My conspiracy is, is that... <laughs> Um, I don't have a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that though? I was really ready for one to come. I was, uh, you know, in the new age wellness tradition, I was creating space you? for, to, I was making room in my heart for a conspiracy to fill it up. <laughs> and I, I made a hollow void and nothing came in. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll give, I'll give my own. Uh, sort of, I don't really know what the conspiracy is so much as so. Australia is a very interesting place because, like, architecturally, culturally, socially, it's very European. You know, it's it's built around. Uh, it's built. It started as a penal colony for the English, and I, I should I should qualify that. Australia, as we know it today, started as a penal colony. There are tens of thousands of years of history of indigenous and native peoples to this island that predates this date that Captain Hook, <laughs> Captain Cook, not Captain Hook, <laughs> Captain Cook showed up and decided to call it Australia and all that, all that history. Um, that is to say, but the architecture around me is mostly reflective of like a European sensibility. So it often, I'm looking out my window and I see it and I'm like, oh, this could be London or this could be Chicago. Or this could be right. Amsterdam. And then randomly I will see a giant bat soar through the night sky (laughs) in a way one would ne'er see in London or Amsterdam or Chicago. This is a type of bat I've only seen in Australia. And there's not really a conspiracy here so much as there is just a, this is the weird disconnect that I'm at in my life where I'm at a place that looks and often feels like home. And then I am often reminded that I am not home. You're not home. <laughs> because a bird or slash pterodactyl will <laughs> land on my balcony and scream. Or I will see a bat the size of a chihuahua soar through the night sky. Actually, that's a small bat. A, a bat the size of a small sheep. It's not that big. It's not that big. It's not that big. That's a person. Um, a, a bat, very big, a very big bat soaring through the night sky. And I'll be reminded that I'm, I'm not anywhere that I've ever been before. So I am just lost in time and space. And my conspiracy is that the world is trying to destroy me and it's succeeding. <laughs> That's not a conspiracy. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. That's just the cold hard truth. (laughs) Okay. Well, I came up with a conspiracy. Oh, go for it, girl. Do it. Do it. Do it. Because while you were talking, I heard a meow, and Latrice jumped on the balcony and came and meowed at me, and then sat in my lap and then ran away. And I was convinced, of course, that Latrice knew that I was talking to you, and she wanted to say hi. Oh. And my final conspiracy 
which isn't entirely a conspiracy is nobody cares about my fucking cat. Of course it's about Latrice. Um, <laughs> Latrice comes off as dumb, like just a dumb, dumb cat, just a loving, dumb cat. My conspiracy is that she's actually a genius and <laughs> she just knows the way to get things as a cat is to just be like cute and friendly and like an idiot. But I got an electronic feeder for her. I don't know if I told you. And she figured out how to jump on top and press the button and feed herself. Oh, that bitch. So I was gone out of town and I kept on getting alerts on my phone because of course it's on Wi-Fi because everything's on Wi-Fi today. It's on Bluetooth. Being like, <laughs> being like, manual feed successful. And I'd be like, manual feed successful? I'm not home. <laughs> and then like 20 minutes later, I'd be like, manual feed successful. And I was like, I wonder what's happening. And then I got home and was hanging out and Latrice me out at me to feed her. And I was like, no, the, the, the electronic feeder is going to go later. And I hear like, and all this food comes out. And I turn around and Latrice jumped off the feeder. She would jump on top and press the button and then slam the feeder against the wall and all this food would come out. Wow. So my conspiracy is that Latrice is a, a genius. Um, we're all being manipulated by her. Yeah. Uh, I have since turned off the manual feed it also took me longer to figure out how to turn off the manual feeding feature of the feeder than it took for latrice to figure out how to feed herself (laughs) so (laughs) so that's my final conspiracy latrice is a genius she just latched onto us because she knew it was she was like these homos are going to give me a better life Uh, and she was damn right and she was damn right she was damn right uh, well, that is a great conspiracy and a really great way to end this week's episode. Randy Harrison, thank you so much for being my guest. I, I always, love you, girl. I just love you. And thank you for putting up with me as I go through uh, full insanity. Uh, full I understand. You're, you're doing it better than uh, I would be doing it. Oh, like girl. That. I, you know. I know I, I don't see all the darkness, but I can imagine it. <laughs> I've seen it before. You've seen the darkness. You lived with the darkness, girl. It was, it was, yeah, you, you get it. Thank you so much, Randy, for being uh, my lovely co host. We will see you next week uh, to right. discuss the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race. And we will see you next week. Bye bye. I'll see you next week. Bye, bye girl. Bye bye bye. Bless your bleeding heart Will it ever learn Will it learn